Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. This morning, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, because uh, this happens to be Pentecost Sunday. And just out of curiosity, how many of you knew that it was Pentecost Sunday today? Then a lot of you didn't read that email that was sent out, <laughs> right? Aha, uh-huh. busted, busted, right? Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it is not one of the more commonly celebrated or recognized uh, church holidays, and holiday is just holy day. That's where we get our word holiday. Um, in the Old Testament, they were called feasts. But uh, there's reasons why it's not as commonly celebrated, for example, like Easter and Christmas are probably the two biggest uh, liturgical church events on the, the church calendar. But uh, Pentecost is not one of those that is more commonly celebrated or recognized, and there's different reasons for that, and we're going to look at some of those this morning. But basically, Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost was one of seven feasts that were mandated by God for his people to observe. And the interesting thing is each of those feasts, uh, each of those holy days tied into a significant event in the life of God's people, something, some way that God showed up big in their lives. And so to commemorate that, he mandated these feasts, these holy days that they were to observe and celebrate. And they're listed in Leviticus chapter 23. And they are as follows, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the seven feasts that were mandated by God for his people to uh, commemorate and, and recognize. These were all special or holy days set aside to, to uh, commemorate something significant that God had done in the lives of his, of his people. But what exactly is Pentecost? What exactly is Pentecost Sunday, and why does it matter? Or should it even matter for us today? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Because even though these were holy days set apart under the old covenant, each of them do have a New Testament or New Covenant counterpart that Jesus actually fulfilled. And as we'll see in a moment, the the New Testament celebration of Pentecost mirrored the old covenant celebration in some very uh, profound and practical ways. We'll look at that in a minute. Right at the end of the 40 days that Jesus spent on earth, after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, towards the end of that 40 days, Jesus gave these final instructions to his followers. They're found in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, And while staying with them, he, talking about Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Everyone say promise. Of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Then verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this next statement. Not many days from now. That phrase, not many days from now, that is a reference to Pentecost Sunday. They didn't know it at the time, but it was a reference to Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday was the fulfillment of the promise Jesus had told them about, both on the eve of his crucifixion, he he talked to him about the promise then, and then also right before he ascended to heaven uh, at the end of the 40 days. Those two times Jesus talked about the promise, which was his Holy Spirit that he was going to send. Now, 
One reason why Pentecost Sunday isn't as widely celebrated as some of the other events on the church liturgy calendar is because of the mystique and, and misunderstanding surrounding that word Pentecost or, or Pentecostal or even the term Holy Spirit. And sadly, much of this mystique and misunderstanding can be attributed to the church. Honestly, the church has been its own worst enemy when it comes to creating confusion uh, about the Holy Spirit and even, and even resistance and pushback by people. And think about this. For the first 300 years that the Bible was made available to the public, it was written in what we called Old English or what you would call the King James Version. So from 1611 to 1901, the Bible was only available in King James, which referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the Holy Ghost. So as we talk about the Trinity, we think about God the Father. We can all relate to that. You know, we think about a father relationship. We think about God the Son. Well, we can all relate to that. We all can, you know, kind of know what a son is. But what's this spirit, this Holy Ghost thing? Eh, not so sure about that one. Not too sure on that one. And then you add some incorrect teachings and ideas promoted in certain denominations and theological persuasions, add that into the mix, not to mention the misuse and abuse done by church people in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to see why so many people would be standoffish or at least at best skeptical, if not just downright resistance to embracing more fully the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost, here's what you need to know. Pentecost Sunday is God's way of reminding us that he still baptizes his people with the Holy Spirit today, empowering them to be more effective witnesses for him and his kingdom. So here's this morning's big idea. Here, here's the big idea for this morning's message. To eliminate those obstacles preventing us from embracing the Holy Spirit on a personal level and clear up some of the mystique and skepticism and even fear surrounding the term Pentecost or Pentecostal. Because the truth is, some people get worded out just by that word Pentecostal. Kind of reminds me of uh, in The Lion King when the two of those hyenas, Shinzi and Banzai, and Shinzi would hear Mufasa and... Remember that? Mufasa. Some people hear the word Pentecostal and they... And it's interesting because just as Shinzi had valid reasons to shiver when he heard the name Mufasa, so also do some of these people that cringe when they hear the word Pentecostal have valid reasons why they cringe and shudder when they hear the word Pentecostal. The thing is, there's been a lot of stupid, ignorant, bizarre, weird things done in the name of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about some of those this morning. Now, having said that, Maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but um, family church is a Pentecostal church. Did you know that? Yeah. So I already told the ushers. Yeah, I know. Ushers are at the door. I told them to lock the doors. No one's leaving. All right. Kyle, go get the snakes. You laugh. There, there was actually a snake. This is no lie. Kyle and I met up here this last week. There was a snake crawling around on this floor in here. I kid you not. And I told Kyle, I told you to keep those snakes in the basket. <laughs> it, was, it was just a little, little thing. But, but anyway, uh, if you were to Google Assemblies of God, because we are an Assembly of God church, if you were to Google that, 
It will tell you that we are the world's largest Pentecostal denomination with over 70 million adherents worldwide. But you mentioned Pentecostal to some people, and what comes to mind are, are some of these different images of you know, maybe a, a raucous worship service where people are foaming at the mouth and speaking in tongues and falling out under the spirit and running hot laps around the auditorium or something like that, right? Or people think of, you know, sometimes people kind of have a stereotype of Pentecostal people, like these ultra-conservative people, conservative in their theology and even in the way they dress and they, you know, the, the women wear dresses and the men wear, you know, ties and shirts and they even dress their kids up that way. Kind of like this, kind of like this picture here that I came across. Uh, <laughs> does that look familiar? You see pictures like that and you almost feel sorry for those kids, don't you? Having to wear those outfits like that. <laughs> Some people hear the term Pentecostal, and, and they, they come up with these all kinds of, and, and, and a lot of those were valid because of a, either something they heard or personally experienced. But this is what I want you to know. I've been doing this a long time. Have I told you that? <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. I came to the Lord back in the 70s during the charismatic renewal, all right? Uh, all three schools that I attended would be classified as as charismatic or Pentecostal in their theology. So I, I kind of feel like the guy on the old State Farm commercials. I know a lot of things because I've seen a lot of things, right? Earlier this week, Sue showed me this video that she saw on social media that I thought would be a good, a good way to kind of insert at this point in my message when it comes to this whole idea of, 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 of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, listen to these words of wisdom by, by this gal here. Just a reminder, the Holy Ghost doesn't just make you shout, speak in tongues, and dance around. It also makes you shut your mouth, apologize, and examine your own self. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is so true because most of the noise, the, the, the things you hear about the Holy Spirit are on those extreme manifestations, you know. But the Holy Spirit actually does good. It, it can do good in us if, if we allow it to, right? I was, uh, I was talking to a young man once who was telling me how he had, he said, you know, Curtis, he said, I've just seen too much stuff happen. I don't think I can go there with this Holy Spirit tongues thing. He said, I, I, I've just seen too much weird stuff. And then so he was talking about this situation, uh, and he was talking about this, this one person. And, and I said, now, now, who was this? And he mentioned the person's name, and I knew, I knew the person. And I said, seriously, that guy was weird before he got baptized in the Spirit. Sometimes that weirdness isn't the spirit. <laughs> huh? You know, statistics say one out of every three people are weird. So I want you to do this for me. Turn to your left. Look to the person on your left. Now, now look to the right. Now, if neither one of those people are weird, <laughs> just saying. The point being, what is the point? I got sidetracked there. But <laughs> the point being, when people ask me, are you a Pentecostal church? Here's how I will usually answer that question. We are if your understanding of Pentecostal is based on the biblical definition and not some other man's or some religion's definition of it. So if by Pentecostal you mean that we fully believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives today, and that what happened on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost, and that every Jesus follower needs a vital personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
Well, then, yes, by that definition, we are a Pentecostal church. But if you got some of these other things that you want to define Pentecostalism, no, we are not that kind of Pentecostal church. So in our attempt to clear up some confusion surrounding Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, I want to first look at what Jesus said about why he sent the Holy Spirit in the first place. And then we're going to look at that word Pentecost. On the eve of his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, Jesus was meeting with his guys, his apostles, one last time in, in that upper room. We call it, that was when they had the Last Supper. It was at that meeting, or at that meal and meeting, that Jesus, Jesus pretty much shocks the disciples by demonstrating this new commandment that he was leaving them with about loving one another. And, and he illustrates it by going around and, and washing the disciples' feet. And that was scandalous to them. They, they could not believe what they were witnessing there. And think about this. Do you know that Jesus also, also washed Judas' feet? Think about this. The same hands that would soon be nailed to a cross were now washing the feet of the one who would set in motion the events that would lead to his death. It's pretty amazing. After washing their feet, Jesus makes this statement in John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So he's just washed their feet. And then he says this, rise, let's go from here. So at this point, they start making their way from the upper room to the Mount of Olives. All right? Chapter 15 of John begins with Jesus teaching about abiding in the vine and how he's the vine and, and we're the branches. And, and so many historians believe that they had probably just arrived at, at the Garden of Gethsemane and they probably passed a, a, a vineyard or something because as Jesus was so inclined to do, he would, he would seize upon those teachable moments. And so probably as they were passing this vineyard, that's when he gave the teaching on him being the, the, the vine and them being the branches. So, John chapters 14, 15, and 16 are Jesus' final words to his disciples before he's crucified. And the summary, the summary of what he said to them is this right here. He said, look, I'm going away, but don't worry. I'm going away, but don't worry. Don't be troubled because I'm sending someone to help you while I'm gone. And this is where Jesus first introduces us to the Holy Spirit. So let's read John's account of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now that's a key word. We're going to see it a few more times as we read through this dialogue. I'll give you another helper and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, John 14, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. So you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the first thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is the Bible never, ever refers to the Holy Spirit as it. Never. Because he's not an it. And, and the reason I point that out is because if you tend to view the Holy Spirit as anything less than a person, it's going to be hard for you to fully embrace him, isn't it? He's not an it. He is a person. He is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, all right? John 14, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the, here's our word again, helper, that's the second time we see this word, the Holy Spirit, just in case, you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach. Everyone say teach. teach. 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 26. But when the, here we go again, helper, third time we've seen that word, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Then over, then John 16, verses 7 and 8, skipping over. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, here, here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's literal translation. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. What he's saying is, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. That's what, that's what he's saying. Is, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I'm sure the disciples are saying, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Jesus says, it is to your advantage because if I do not go away, the, here's our word again, helper, fourth time we've seen that word, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 12, John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Okay, verse 13. Should settle once and for all any debate, any debate about whether or not the Holy Spirit speaks. John 16, 13. Jesus said specifically that the Holy Spirit speaks. So, number one, the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, he speaks. He's a person, and he does speak, all right? The word helper that we saw a few times in that passage comes from two Greek words that would be kind of transliterated this way, para, P-A-R-A, which means alongside, and then kletos, which means to come. Now, you've probably heard that word paraclete, and this is the same thing, paraclete, parakletos. Put those together, and what you have is someone who comes alongside you. In other words, what Jesus said, he said, I'm going to send someone to come alongside you to help you. That's what he's saying there. So this word can be translated a lot of different ways. It can be translated helper. It can be translated consoler. It can be translated intercessor. In 1 John, this same word is translated advocate, which is interesting. But of all the translations... Used, I think the Old English, the King James Version, uh, in one uh, uh, passage, used it best when it said, the comforter. Calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. I like that. How many of you could use some comforting sometimes? Sure. That's what the Holy Spirit, he is a, you don't need to be afraid of him, he's a, he's a comforter. So first and foremost, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Having settled that, now let's answer three questions about Pentecost or Pentecostals. What is Pentecost? What is Pentecost? You'd be surprised how many people don't even know what the word Pentecost means. So let, let, let's, let's let the Bible define what it means for us. In Acts 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I mentioned earlier the day of Pentecost was one of the seven Jewish feasts or holidays that God's people celebrated. It was actually first celebrated in the book of Exodus when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. Now, that event, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai, that took place 50 days 
after the Passover and exodus from Egypt, all right? So it took place 50 days, all right? So the meaning of the word is easy enough to figure out. Penti, penti, which five, we get our word pentagon, pentagon, a five-sided building. Pentagram is a geometric figure with, with five points on it. So penti, five, and cost, which is times 10 or to the 10th power. Put them together, Pentecost, and what you have is 50. <laughs> Say it again, Pastor. 50. <laughs> I'm obviously being a little facetious here, but that's all the word means. It means 50. It means 50. So when Luke says that the day of Pentecost had arrived, what he's really saying is when the 50th day had arrived. Yet the word Pentecost creates so much fear and confusion among some people. Yet people have such a negative, skeptical connotation of that word. What's so scary about the word 50, right? If people would just simply let God's word define Pentecost, not only would there be less confusion surrounding it, there would also be more, willing, more people willing to embrace it more, embrace, excuse me, embrace him, almost caught myself, embrace him more fully in their lives. So what is Pentecost? It's 50. Second question, what happened at Pentecost? What happened at Pentecost? Earlier, we stopped reading at verse 2. We'll come back to verses 3 and 4 in a minute. Skip down to verses 5 and 6 of Acts chapter 2. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. You see that? Every nation under heaven. Verse 6. And at this sound, and this, this is a reference to that mighty rushing wind that was referenced earlier. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. But there's something else going on here that I, that I want to point out to you that, that is really important for us to, to, to understand. If you look closely, you'll see some parallels between the first feast of Pentecost, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and then God pouring out his spirit and, and the Feast of Pentecost under the new covenant in the upper room. All right, let's look at them side by side. Mount Sinai. When the law was given, there was a loud noise on top of that mountain. It was thunder. Remember that? When, God, when Moses went up there and God started giving him the Ten Commandments, said there was a, a loud noise, some thunder. All right, how about the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, there was a loud noise. A mighty rushing wind, right? At Sinai, it says that a cloud descended. Remember, remember during the 40 years in the wilderness, God continued to provide for his people uh, and guide them by day with a, with a pillar of cloud to keep them uh, from the, the, the heat of the sun and also to guide them because wherever the cloud went, that's, that was where the people would go. So by day, there was a pillar of cloud that would guide them and protect them. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. There's some kind of supernatural fire that would keep them warm and, and guide them at night. So at Sinai, it says a cloud descended. At Pentecost, the cloud, the Holy Spirit, descended on his people. You see that? Pentecost, think about this, the Holy Spirit descending on God's people. We know at Sinai there was fire. There was fire. We'll talk more about this in a minute. There was fire that came when God gave Moses the law. At Pentecost, we're told that there were tongues of what? Fire. Tongues of fire. At Mount Sinai, God wrote, at the original Feast of Pentecost, God wrote his law on tablets of stone. And on that day, on that day, 
3,000 people died. Why? Because as God was giving them the commandments, the ink hadn't even dried on that very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods. And the people at the base of the mountain were breaking that commandment, worshiping a golden calf. And because of that, it says 3,000 people died. God wrote his law on the tablets of stone. On that day, 3,000 people rebelled and died. At Pentecost, God wrote his law on men's hearts, and 3,000 people got saved. Y'all should read your Bibles. This is amazing. This is amazing stuff, I'm telling you. So the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of that miraculous event on Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the law. And look, even if you hadn't read the, the book, you, you've, you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, right? So you kind of know how all that works. But, but watch this now, because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to write God's righteous standard, not on a tablet of stone, but on our heart. So what does that mean to us, Pastor? It means this. It means that Jesus came to give us a right standing before God. In other words, he came to make us righteous. The Holy Spirit came to help us live righteous. Because living righteous lives isn't easy, if you haven't figured that out. Living a righteous life requires power, supernatural power, power that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. But the Holy Spirit's power isn't just so we can have power. It is very specific in its purpose. And Jesus told us what that specific purpose was right before he ascended to heaven. Luke recorded it for us in Acts chapter, eight, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. That, dear ones, is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for, to enable us, equip us to be better witnesses for the kingdom of God. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to enable us, equip us to be better witnesses for him and for his kingdom. So what is Pentecost? Fifty. It's 50. That's all it is. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit descended miraculously on God's people. And then the third question, can I experience Pentecost? Can I experience it today? Are you sure? Are you sure? Right? See, the, the, what I just described for you in the book of Acts happened about 2,000 years ago. So, is it even possible for us to experience that? And the reason I'm asking that is because there are, people, there are people who will tell you churches, there are denominations that will tell you you can't. And the reason, the reason why is because we weren't there when it first happened, right? They weren't there when it first happened. So is it even possible to experience what they experienced in that upper room 2,000 years ago when God poured out his spirit? Well, again, let's let the Bible answer that. In Acts 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, I want you to note that word divided. See, we, we, tend, we see that word and we tend to uh, view it in, in maybe not a negative context, but kind of in a something that separates or alienates or divides. But one of the meanings is to allocate or apportion. It, it, it's the root form of another English word that we're all familiar with, and it's the word individual. You look at the word individual, and what do you see in the middle of that word? Divide. Divide. The point being, divided tongues simply means that everyone got their own. Everyone had their own tongue. That's what it means when it says divided tongues of fire. So some type of supernatural manifestation of fire and tongues fell on each of those gathered in the upper room on that day of Pentecost. Now, Acts 2, verse 4. 
It says, and they were all, everyone say all, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, and, and here's that other scary word, tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the topic of speaking in tongues is really probably for a sermon, if not a series in itself. And I got to be honest, I debated on whether or not I should say anything about it, but it's part of Pentecost, so I couldn't just you know let it slide. My, my challenge was I didn't want to create more questions than answers, knowing the limited time that we have this morning. So I will tell you this. I'll make a deal with you. At the end of the sermon, if you're still confused and don't understand, call Kyle, and he'll set you straight, all right? <laughs> but the Bible, for, for the sake of this morning, the Bible talks about two types of tongues. There's the gift of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. There's the gift of tongues, which God gives to specific individuals, but it also talks about tongues as a prayer language that is for everyone, for all of God's people. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that the purpose of this prayer language is for edification and comfort to kind of help build us up and encourage ourselves. The word tongues, if you look at the word in the, the Greek New Testament, is the Greek word, that the, the English transliteration would be glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A, from which we get our English word glossary. What is a glossary? It's vocabulary. It's language. So again, you don't don't have to be afraid or weirded out when someone says tongues. It simply means language. That's all it means. It's a language. If you're afraid of the word in the Bible, I'm telling you, it's because someone gave you reason to be afraid of it. Either you had a bad experience or a flaky pastor or a flaky Christian, or you saw something or heard something weird that happened. And look, again, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. So I understand what you're talking about, right? But just because, just because we weren't there when God poured out his spirit on that first day of Pentecost, does that mean that we can't have it, right? Does that mean? But there are people that will tell there are denominations that will tell you that. There are denominations that will say, you know what, after the apostles that were in that upper room and the 120, that, that God gave them that gift to help the New Testament church get some traction, get started. And then once the church got started, they, they didn't need those supernatural spiritual gifts anymore. So one by one, as they died off, after that last person died off, that was it. There were no more gifts in the church, all right? And there are denominations that will teach you that, that, that that's, there are no spiritual gifts in the church today because it was just for the early church. All right, with that in mind, I want us to look at, at, at verse 39, where Peter talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, because he says, for the promise, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, just like, you know, Jesus said, the promise of the Father. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone, everyone who the Lord calls to himself. Now, wait a minute, time out, hold on, wait a minute, time out, time out. I thought it was just for those who were in the upper room, right? So, so what, was Peter confused here? What, what, what's going on here? Well, there was confusion, all right, but it wasn't on Peter's part. See, another way to look at this would be maybe kind of apply it to one of the other Jewish feasts or holidays. For example, let's talk about Passover. All right, we're, we're all pretty much familiar with Passover. Passover was when God instructed his people to, to kill that spotless, perfect lamb and take the blood from that lamb and spread it around their doorway. And then that night when the destroying angel came through, if he saw the blood over the door, he would not, he would not stop at that house, right? That's what the Passover was all about, all right? So I've got a question for you. Um, can you receive the shed blood of Jesus Christ as your spotless lamb to cover your sins? 
No, no, wait, no, wait, wait. You weren't living back then. Huh? No, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You weren't alive back then. So how can you apply that blood to your life today? It's by faith. It's by faith, right? That's how we do that. By accepting Jesus Christ, we get to experience Passover even though we weren't there when it was first celebrated. Do you see what I'm saying here? Nod at me. Do something. Let me know that you're still awake, all right? Now, I'm telling you, you can be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit today even though you weren't there when God fulfilled that promise and poured out his spirit upon the disciples, the 120, and even all flesh, as the prophecy says. So, I want to conclude with that question that the Apostle Paul asked those early believers in Acts 19, verse 2. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now listen, because you say, well, don't I get the Holy Spirit when I get saved? Well, you do. You you get a measure of that Spirit. But God, again, think about this, though. Even though you receive it, uh, have you embraced him? See, people might receive the Holy Spirit, but they have they have they really embraced Him? I was talking to a pastor one time a few years ago, and his mother-in-law had had health issues, and so moved in with them for a short time that ended up being longer than he had anticipated. And anyway, he he got along fairly well with his mother-in-law, but the longer she was there, the, the more. Uh, tension there got. And so he was in his quiet time one day and he came, he read across this verse, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he felt like the Holy Spirit was asking him, have you received your mother-in-law? Yeah, she's living in your house, but have you really welcomed her and received her? See what I'm saying? You can have the Holy Spirit in you, but, but have you really welcomed him? Are, 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 you keeping him at, are you keeping him at arm's length? Because, you know, you've seen some weird things happen, right? Look, can I tell you, that person was probably going to be weird anyway, right? Yeah, I, look, I've seen them too. I, I've, seen, I've seen the weird things too, right? So I want you to just be willing to step back and take a fresh approach and let the Bible explain itself and just be open and say, be honest with God. If there's any part of you that has resisted any aspect of your relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is a person, by the way, he is a person, and he speaks, did I tell you that? Okay. If there's any part of you that has resisted the Holy Spirit, I want you to invite God into that conversation because you're going to need that power. You're going to need that supernatural power that only he can provide in order to survive. So, instead of giving you some questions to kind of continue the discussion like we did back during the Faithful series, this is what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to, uh, to on your, if you've got the Version Bible app, I want you to pull up Robert Morris's The God I Never Knew. Okay, he's, he's written a book too. But there, he's got a Bible study on the Version Bible app, The God I Never Knew. And I think it's a 30-day or 31-day study. Uh, do that. Because he, he, he explains a lot of this stuff a lot better than I can. But I think it will be beneficial to you if you would just be open and honest before God, just telling that, yeah, you know, God, I'll be honest. I've kind of been, I've seen some weird things. And so I just kind of, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but, I, you know. Uh, but no, seriously, you, you really need to, uh, this Pentecost Sunday, God wants to remind you that um, this gift is for you. He's for you. And he wants you to fully embrace him. Because you're going to need him. You're going to need him. So, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Bow your heads and let me pray for you.
Lord, I do pray for anyone here that, that maybe is still a little bit hesitant, maybe confused, or, or maybe even scared, weirded out by the Holy Spirit, or, or at least in some situations where they, they saw something that didn't really understand. And, and, I, and I get that, God, I really do, because there's been some pretty bizarre and weird things that have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with it. But right now, I pray, Father, that, that people would be willing to just wipe the slate clean when it comes to the Holy Spirit and let you begin to show them in a fresh and powerful way that this is a relationship that they need to have. They need to embrace more fully the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray that you would give them the faith to do that. I pray that you would do that. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's not in a right relationship with you, or maybe they're far from you, or just not where they should be. And they know it. If that's you, it'd be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to know God in a very personal and powerful way. So personal that he actually invites you to call him Heavenly Father. So if that's you, would you let me pray this prayer over you? And you can just repeat it after me. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't fix myself, but I believe that you can. Lord, your word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that, that we would be saved. And so I'm making that confession right now. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, my Lord, and that he rose from the dead for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now and help me live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.